all my dear listeners, and welcome to Season 2 of Counter Melody. It is I, your host, Daniel Gundlach, and once again I'm eager to delve into the world of song with you. I'm devoted to bringing you the voices of beloved artists, often focusing on unexpected facets of their artistry. In addition, I look forward to presenting less celebrated but equally treasurable singers who also deserve our attention and respect. Since I started this podcast, I've learned even more about the topic to which I have devoted my life, and I'm honored to have you join me on this ongoing mutual journey of discovery. Let's get down to today's business. Great singers and great singing. Welcome, my listeners. I have a special treat for you today. That is one of my very favorite singers of all time, and I'm so excited to present him to you. I can't even tell you. Yes, today we're hearing none other than the great Finnish baritone Jorma Hynninen. I have featured selections by him twice on the podcast, most recently in episode 34 on Charm, where I featured him singing a tango in Finnish. Let's start with the prologue from Pagliacci, shall we? The studio recording from 1989 that he made with Eric Klaas and the Estonian Symphony Orchestra. Once we reach the apogee of the aria, I'm going to cut to a live recording from the opera at Savonlinna, where he was the artistic director for many years. That is a gala from the summer of 1988. <laughs> Signore, signori, scusatemi se da sol mi presento, io sono il Yes. 
One of his very earliest roles at the Finnish National Opera was as Silvio in Pagliacci, singing in Finnish in 1969. I found this recording clearly from those performances on YouTube. It makes an interesting contrast with the prologue. You hear a younger voice, but one that has a lot of power for a Silvio. Often this role is undercast, not in this case. <laughs> Oh, 
Again, something I pulled off of YouTube. This is an unidentified performance of Eritu from Ballo in Maschera from 1969, the year that he won a big vocal competition in Finland. It's possible that this maybe even stems from that occasion. This is him doing a portion of the Eritu aria, O Dolcezze Perdute. focus of today's episode is on Jorma Hyndinen singing opera, but I do want to give you this one single example of him nearly 50 years after that ballo recording, singing a live performance of the Sibelius song Ilalle with Kalevi Kiviniemi accompanying him on the organ. This recording is from 2017. Ja sie wegen einer Eide kam. 
Let me tell you, if you haven't already determined for yourself, the wonderful things about this voice. It's so rugged. It's so powerful. It's even from top to bottom. And I think one thing that we can point to there is that following his victory in the Finnish vocal competition, he went to Italy, where he studied with none other than Luigi Ricci, who is very famous for the collection of cadenzas and ornaments that were published by Ricordi in four different volumes. I'm assuming that singers still know about this collection, which is invaluable. Anyway, he learned the bel canto tradition from Ricci, and he processed it in a very interesting way. He always uses the music as a springboard to reveal character. He never pours forth a torrent of sound for sound's sake. I say this not as a criticism, but I just offer as a contrast the late Russian baritone Dmitry Khorostovsky, who could spin out a gorgeous line all day long with the most extraordinary breath control. Herninen has many of those virtues, but for my ear, he digs deeper. I'm going to offer you an example from one of his Verdi roles, the Count di Luna in Il Trovatore. This is from that same opera arias recital from 1989. This is Il Ballen del Suo Sorriso. While I do think that this is a very beautiful performance vocally, I find find it even more fascinating the way that he plums the depths of the character of this very unlikable person, the Count Luna, who describes what it is that he is looking for in Leonora, the woman that he seeks to abduct and in the end rapes and causes her death. He's looking for some kind of peace in his tortured heart, and I think that this is really clearly revealed in this extraordinary performance.
Along with Di Luna, other Verdi roles that Hunninen sang were Nabucco, Iago in Otello, the title role of Macbeth, Rigoletto, Ford in Falstaff, and probably his most famous assumption, Rodrigo in Don Carlo, which he sang all over the world. Not every Verdi baritone is also a superb Mozart singer, but Hunninen excelled in Mozart. The Count in Nozze di Figaro was probably his best role. Early in his career, he sang Papagino, and he went on to sing the Sprecher a few years later. He was also a Guglielmo, and also a Don Giovanni. This is an example from one of his most high-profile recordings, that is The Count with Riccardo Muti and the Wiener Philharmonica. A few weeks ago, we heard Margaret Price's recording of Porcio Amor from this same recording. I think they make a very interesting and contrasting couple. She's reserved but expressive of her pain, and he's very explosive. Very interesting contrast. <laughs> Oh. 
mentioned that Hunninen also sang Don Giovanni occasionally. Here he is singing one of the most honeyed versions of De Vieni alla Finestra that I've ever heard. This is again from the Opera Arias collection. Come crudele, 
I now have excerpts from two live performances to offer you. And the first of these is an apparent outlier. This is from Victoria de Los Angeles's farewell to the operatic stage at the Teatro de la Zarzuela in July 1980. She sang Melisande and Jorma Hünninen was her Peleas. Strange, you might think, that Hünninen would be more by nature a golo, but I gotta say, this is one of the best sung Peleases that I have ever heard. If you dig around, you can find a video of this, and it's so worth looking at. I don't want to be unkind, but at this stage in her life, Victoria de Los Angeles looks a bit like a cross between, God forgive me for saying this, but uh, Betty Davis's Baby Jane and Edith Massey. Bless her heart. She sings exquisitely, but she looks... Well... But listen to this excerpt from the tower scene, Act 3, Scene 1, where you hear her Ninan making full use of his bel canto training and soaring to the highest reaches of this role with such ease. I think, in some ways, he's one of the very best peleases that I have ever heard, and a real contrast to the French baryton Martin, who also make a wonderful impression in this part. Je 
Now I'm going to offer also a replay. This is from Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin, a live performance in New York from March 1989. I played a slightly different edit of this scene on the occasion of Mireille Lafreni's death at the beginning of this year. This is a supercharged performance of a portion of that final scene with Huninen and Freni just burning up the stage and singing the shit out of it. Excuse my French.
Kuninen had limited Russian roles that he sang. He also sang Yeletsky, and in 1987, he was invited to sing Onyegin at the Bolshoi in Moscow. One might ask, logically, if Hüninen also sang Wagner. Well, did he ever. He sang Wolfram in Tannhäuser, Amfortas in Parsifal, The Herald in Lohengrin. I haven't been able to find so many recorded excerpts, but this is a 1976 recording with the extraordinary Finnish tenor Pekka Nuotio of a very brief portion of Act 3 of Tristan und Isolde, when Corvenal, Hündinen's character, finally discovers that Isolde's ship is on the horizon. <laughs> Hörninen also sang in concert performances Johanna An in Salome and Orest in Elektra. I haven't been able to find a trace of the Johanna An, which I'm sure was very interesting. But this live recording from Boston in November 1988 features Hildegard Behrens as Elektra and Seiji Ozawa conducting the Boston Symphony. It was yet another of those very high-profile appearances that Hörninen made in the late 1980s. I saw Hildegard Behrens 
once. I know she's a controversial singer, but I will never, never, never forget seeing her sing Marie in Wozzeck. As far as I can tell, her Nina never sang Wozzeck, but I can only imagine what that pairing of her Nina and Behrens would have been like in the two lead roles in Wozzeck. A few weeks ago, I did feature an excerpt from the recognition scene featuring the then-married Christa Ludwig and Walter Berry. This is very different from that recording, but I really like it as well. Hildegard Behrens sings wildly, but there's also a discipline that she can let loose with a high A on Orest like she does. You'll hear it. This begins with the line, Las den Orest, through to the moment when she recognizes that this strange man is indeed her brother Orestes. Ich hab die Zeit, 
I would say that Jorma Herninan is most remembered, operatically speaking, for his roles in 20th century and contemporary opera. I'm going to offer two non-Finnish examples to round off the first part of this program. First, from a live performance in Stockholm in September 1995, here is a portion of the extraordinary opera Matis der Mahler by Paul Hindemith with Jorma Hörninan singing the title role. The portion is called Auf den zum letzten Stück des Wegs. Essa Pekka Salonen is conducting the Swedish Radio Symphony Orchestra.
Here's a very short excerpt from an opera that really should be heard in full. That is Luigi Dalla Piccola's Il Prigioniero. This is also a live recording from Stockholm earlier in 1995. This is one of the most grim plots that I can imagine. There's a prisoner being held, and the one voice that offers him any sort of consolation is that of the jailer, who refers to him as friend and offers him consolation and hope and strength. As the prisoner is awaiting his execution, he's surprised to find the door to his prison open, and he escapes into the courtyard, where he comes face to face with the Grand Inquisitor, who says, Why are you leaving us when you are so close to finding your freedom? And the prisoner realizes that he has been duped and only in death will he find any kind of liberty or peace. This is from the portion where the prisoner is frantically racing toward the light, which he finds out is only the ultimate torture, because it leads only to his death, and perhaps a different kind of freedom than he had hoped for. Ancora vedo entressi su quest'umido muro. Oh, oh, sono le pupille che ritengono ancora quello sguardo incancellabile.
On that very troubling note, let's just stop for a moment and take a little pause. I'm so happy to report that my listenership is picking up, and I thank you all for helping pass on the word about this podcast, which right now is my main source of vitality, and I hope that I bring a little bit of that to you every week. If you are so moved and you wish to support me via my Patreon page, you may go to patreon.com slash countermelody, easy peasy, and offer your support anything from $2 a month to, well, that's just up the ante, $20,000 a month. Oh, wouldn't that be a dream? Anyway, I'm just being facetious, but I really am not being facetious when I say that I need your support, I welcome your support, I treasure your support, and I need, welcome, and treasure all of you, my listeners, as well. As we move into the Finnish part of the episode, let's listen to Jorma Hyrninen in a 1976 recording of one of Jean Sibelius's first published pieces, The Five Christmas Songs. This is the fourth song. Yeah, in Etsivalta Loistoa, something like that. Yes, and thanks to my Google Translate assistant for that superb pronunciation, if I do say so myself. It means, I'm not looking for power or splendor. Instead, give me light from above and peace on earth. Come, O Christmas, come to both rich and poor. Oh, 
Now we're going to enter into what I think is the most exciting and adventurous part of the program. Jorma Hyrninen made an extraordinary contribution to Finnish opera. Not only was he the artistic director of both the Savonlinna Opera Festival and the Finnish National Opera at various points in his career, but he also created roles in an extraordinary assortment of operas. A few years ago, when I actually had a little bit of money, which is no longer the case, I did try and get my hands on all of Herninen's recordings that I could find. I want to just consider for a moment two of the earlier composers of Finnish opera. Leiv Matdoja, who composed two of the most significant early operas. The first was Pohjalaisia, or the Austro-Bothnians. This concerns itself with the struggles of Finnish peasants against figures of authority. In Pohjalaisia, this conflict is exemplified in the struggles of Jussi Harri, who is the baritone, played by Herninen, against the sheriff and his lackeys. Herninen sang this role numerous times throughout his career. It's an interesting way of hearing how his voice really remained consistent over the course of his career. I'm going to offer you just a very short excerpt, because Yussi tends to be a character who is rather taciturn, laconic, and mostly keeps his thoughts to himself. This is his one extended vocal moment where he describes seeing a young hawk flying through the skies. He deeply admires the way that the bird continues to climb higher and higher, but he notes that when its wings get tired, it will have to descend to earth, and he will be shot and mounted on the wall. And he points, just like that one over there. I'm offering you two different recordings of this. One is with the conductor Jorma Panula, Jorma Panula. from 1975. Kas tuolla lenta hauka, aitalla poikanen koskanoin vallattomasti siipien sallikuttele. Lenta korkeammalle, yhä korkeammalle, yhä korkeammalle. Luonto vie ja siivet kantavat tuolla, Haukan poika kunnosta mitään muuta tahtoa kuin omansa. Hyppiänä se katsoo korkeudestansa. Meitä maassa matelevia. Now, in contrast, is a recording that was issued of a live performance 22 years later in Helsinki with Jukka Pekka Saraste conducting, and once again, Jorma Hyrninen singing the role of Jussi. <laughs> 
Doya also wrote another opera. This was a setting of Juha, which was a novel by the Finnish writer Juhani Aho. Juhani Aho. The Finnish soprano Aino Akte was so taken with this novel that she wrote a libretto herself, and she approached Sibelius with this libretto. But he, after much consideration, rejected the offer. The only operatic work to his credit is a one-act called The Maiden in the Tower, and perhaps he simply felt unequal to the challenge of bringing this drama to the stage. Once Akte had gotten Sibelius's refusal, she then turned to the composer Arre Mericanto. We'll hear that opera in a moment. What happened was that the Finnish National Opera rejected it and instead commissioned Madetoya to write an opera to replace it. So this is the opera that Madetoya wrote and that premiered in 1935 with the Finnish opera. I'm going to offer short excerpts from the beginning of each of these operas so that you can hear the difference in compositional style. Also, the libretto was completely revised when Madetoya said it. The opera concerns a Finnish farmer named Juha, who's crippled and elderly, and his much younger wife, Maria, who is seduced by the peddler Shemeka. Played, of course, by the tenor in both of these versions. Madetoya's opera opens with a conversation between Juha and Maria, where he's begging her to make peace, and she's like, I can't help it. I have no feelings for you anymore. I am who I am, and you're just going to have to lump it. Not a very good setup for a happy marriage. 
Maritoya's musical language is much more lyrical, I would say, than Merikantos, which we're going to hear in a moment. Here's the opening of Yuha by Maritoya. Yusialas, who was Sibelius's son-in-law, is the conductor, and Maya is sung by soprano Maya Loka. Now, 
In contrast, I'm going to offer you the very beginning of Mericanto's opera, which finally was premiered on stage in 1963. We can say that Mericanto's music is more forward-looking, it's more original. It's a really interesting amalgam of Debussy and Janáček to my ears. This operatic setting of the story begins with a monologue of Juha. We'll hear Herninan again with Juka Pekka Saraste conducting in this recording from 1995. <laughs> Anacantura vecaleuca Mersari Olenahan mina jo vanha Enkähän mina näköni Milloinkaan ole kehu Mutta että influential and significant composers of opera in Finland in the late 20th century. 
First is Aulis Salinen, who originally burst upon the scene with his opera, The Horseman, or Ratsumies. Hunninen's bass compatriot Matti Salminen sang the title role in that opera. And one must here pay tribute, I think, to the great baritones, bass baritones and basses that have come from Finland in recent years. Not just Jorma Hunninen and Matti Salminen, but of course Marti Talvela and Tom Krause. And Tom Krause, yes, even though he does not have as Finnish sounding a name as his compatriots, is also a Finn. Salinen's second opera was called The Red Line or Punainen Viva. Punainen Viva. Again, it tells about the struggles of the working class in Finland, this time setting the struggles of Topi and his wife Rika against the backdrop of the first free elections in Finland when the Russians were voted out. At the same time that hope is finally being presented to the lower classes in Finland, we're also observing Topi and Rika and their children facing starvation and death. The oppressing Russian forces are symbolized by a bear that has been destroying the livestock of the villagers and farmers. The red line referred to in the title is both the red line that is made with pencil when the Finnish people go to cast their vote, and the red line that at the end of the opera the bear makes across the throat of Topi when he kills him. This is a moment in the second act when Topi's fellow farmers have been discussing things that might actually come to bear with the advent of socialism rather than oppression. And Topi is very skeptical and he says, you want me to take a pencil and draw a line? Look at these hands. All they've done is work with an axe and shovel my entire life and now I'm suddenly supposed to hold a pencil and place my vote. Nothing will ever come of this. Thank you. 
Salinen also wrote the title role in his opera The King Goes Forth to France for Jorma Hyrninen, who had an enormous success in the part, but unfortunately he did not record it. He did, however, record the title role in Salinen's next opera, Kullervo, which is based on a Finnish legend in the so-called Kalevala. The Kalevala is a work of epic poetry that describes everything from the creation of the earth to the struggles of the folk hero Lemminkainen. Kullervo is a hapless character in the Kalevala who ends up being sold into slavery by his uncle, murdering the wife of his captor, unknowingly having sex with his own sister when she realizes who he is, commits suicide. He eventually wreaks his vengeance on the uncle who destroyed his own family and at the end of the story throws himself into a funeral pyre. This is a topic of epic struggle with a character who is anything but likable, certainly a hapless anti-hero. The opera was completed in 1988. It was intended for the premiere of the new Finnish National Opera. It was a co-production with Los Angeles, and because of delays with the completion of the new building for the Finnish National Opera, it ended up having its premiere instead in L.A. in 1992. This is the scene in which Kullervo describes the young girl that he met and had sex with, who turned out to be his own sister. He's describing the situation to his mother, who is played by Eva Lisa Sarinen, who's a wonderful, wonderful Finnish soprano, and his father, who we hear briefly in this excerpt, portrayed by Matti Salminen. Sensor, says he, and 
The other towering figure in late 20th century Finnish opera is Eino Juhani Rautavara. He is much more interested, I would say, in the spiritual struggles of his characters, their desperation to find a place for themselves in this world or to find a home. We'll see that in the excerpts from three of the operas that Jorma Hündinen premiered that were written expressly for him by Rautavara. Hey, no, you, honey, Rautavara. <laughs> 
Yes, we heard that the first time. Thank you so much. Rautavara, in this case, was interested in the fairly obscure story of a mid-13th century bishop named Thomas, who evidently was one of the very first persons who envisaged a free and separate Finnish state. Rautavara's music, to my ear, is so much obsessed with color. Not in the same way that Messiaen is, but I want you to hear. This is a monologue that Thomas has toward the end of the first act of the opera, which was composed in 1985. Ei kenenkään muun 
Roma min caucada, etta se ominum, ixir minum, olet cosinemmi, che cansa, eitsit cansa, tina olet minul cotavori, iammina sinum. Given Rautavara's interest in tortured protagonists, it's perhaps not surprising that in his next opera, he chose the subject of the painter Vincent van Gogh, Van Gogh, as we call him in the U.S. In this opera, Paul Gauguin is presented as almost an antagonist to Vincent, who is plagued by visions of a trio of figures from his past. They open the sequence in this scene, which depicts the birth of Van Gogh's painting, Starry Night. Oh, <laughs> 
It's interesting that Rautavara chooses to depict actual figures from history in most of his operas. This is also true of the opera called Alexis Kivi, which is the pseudonym of Alexis Stenval, one of the very first authors to write in the Finnish language. He was plagued by mental health struggles in spite of his success and died at the age of only 38. Rautavara externalizes these struggles through the conflict between the title character and August Alquist, who is his antagonist, a literary critic who deeply disapproved of him. In the epilogue to the opera, Alexis is lost and raving. He sings a duet with his younger self and is 
confronted by a representation of his main benefactor, Charlotte Lundqvist, who tells him that in being silent, he can find his way home. The other singers that we hear in this excerpt are, as Charlotte, once again, Eva-Lisa Saarinen, whom we heard in Kulervo, and in duet with Hurninen, playing his younger self, Gabriel Suavenen. Markus Leitinen is the conductor. Throughout this opera, there are settings of several of Kivi's most important poems, and the opera ends with one of these, called Song of My Heart in English. There is no happier spot for my darling than to rock to and fro in a cradle of gold, listening to beautiful bird song. Such a tranquil grove, far away from life's strife and struggle, far away from worry and wickedness. Oh, 
this is how the opera ends, and this is how today's episode ends, with a wish that we might also find some respite from the strife and struggle. My dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach. <laughs>